the back of that page that I want to keep in front of you is the challenge that we threw out to you two weeks ago to really be strategic in inviting friends and family and others to join you for worship at First Christian Church. Um, Easter is seven weeks from today. And this is typically the best seven, eight-week period of time uh, in terms of inviting guests to church for the entire year. People are, are more interested than ever leading up to the Easter season in many ways. So I want to just challenge you to be very strategic in, in inviting your friends. And if you need a card, we have a, an actual invitation card. Chris McDonald shared those with you two weeks ago. They are at the Welcome Center. This week, Wednesday evening, Families at First continues, and it's going to be a great meal. I think vegetable soup, which that's a wonderful meal except for the vegetables. Other than that, everything is great about that. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding, but I know many of you like vegetable soup. So uh, come on out and enjoy that. At 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall, the adults are going to be invited to participate in something that may have never happened here at our church before. Um, Ash Wednesday services take place all across our country, all across our world. Many people think it's a Catholic thing. That's a misnomer. We are going to be having uh, a service of repentance led by Jim in the Fellowship Hall at 6.30. I would encourage you to come out. I do need to let you know some of you have shared concerns about that. Are we trying to be the Catholic Church? Are we doing something that goes against what we believe as an independent Christian church? Nothing could be further from the truth. And I just challenge you to come out at 6.30 this Wednesday evening in the Fellowship Hall. You will leave blessed as we enter into Easter season. We focus on our lives. We focus on what Christ did for us. Really encourage you to join us. Also, a week from Wednesday, March 16th, Carrie Roberts, Nashville recording artist, is going to be in concert at our church at 6.30. Marsha Wise from our church is going to do a worship or a, a musical set as well. It's going to be a wonderful evening. There is no cost for this event, but you do need a ticket. So if you do not have a ticket, Karen, are we going to have tickets in the foyer today? We encourage you to get tickets. Great event to invite a friend to join you, uh, 6.30, March 16th. Okay, let's talk Bible. B90X, today is day 63. And let me tell you what that means. That means if you are on pace reading through the Bible in 90 days, after you read today up to Daniel chapter 8, verse 27, you are less than 25 days from being finished with reading through the Bible in 90 days. There's actually 87 and a half days of reading. And I know that many of you are reading, you're engaged. I know some of you started off really strong and you've slowed down. I want to just encourage you, if you're behind, to read. I challenge some people this week, pick up today with the, the book of Daniel. Go back later and pick up the rest. Or go back where you were. Just read, be in the Word every day. You will be blessed. This is where we've been up to this point. This next week that lies ahead... Week 10 of B90X, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel and the minor prophets. And just to remind you, the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is not the importance of what they had to say, but rather the length of the prophecy. So prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they're much longer in terms of the, the prophecy. While Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Obadiah, their prophecy is much shorter, just as important. And sometimes uh, just incredibly profound statements. I love Micah 6.8. Many of you have memorized that verse of Scripture. What does the Lord require of you? To love mercy, to act justly, to walk humbly with our God. 
That's from one of the minor prophets. Next week, we're going to dive into the New Testament in terms of our Sunday morning messages, and we'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, different is good. The sermons are online. The blog is up and running. The reason I was late to church is I was uh, uploading uh, today's blog entry, so please continue to check that out. Okay, Daniel chapter 3. But before we get to Daniel chapter 3, I want to share with you something that happened recently that my guess is caught your attention. A week ago yesterday, what would that have been? February 26th, the BYU basketball team played their most important basketball game, many people think ever, or at least in a very, very long time. They beat one of their heated rivals, San Diego State University. They were on the road. They won the game in San Diego. And in the midst of doing that, really established themselves as one of the great basketball schools this year in America. Now, when you think great basketball schools, who who do you think of? Maybe you think of Duke or North Carolina or Kansas or Kentucky. We used to think of Illinois in that vein. We don't really so much anymore. But my guess is none of you could honestly say this morning, BYU is a school that you think of as a great basketball school. But this year is a is a wonderful season for their basketball team. It's a year unlike any other year up to this point. They made news on Monday because they ascended to number three in the nation in the rankings. They made news on Tuesday of last week because they dismissed one of their best players from the team for the rest of this year. Now that really in itself isn't news, unfortunately. Basketball teams dismiss players all the time for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they, sometimes they break the law and the criminal justice system gets involved. Sometimes they, they do something that the coach didn't want them to do. Sometimes there's insubordination. But my guess is there has never been a player on a top five team that has been dismissed for the reason that Brandon Davies was dismissed. The reason that he was dismissed was because he broke the school's honor code. See, to be a student at BYU, it's a a Mormon institution, and even though there are thousands and thousands and thousands of students that go to school there, many of whom are not Mormon, they are required to sign that they will abide by the BYU honor code. What is that? Look at this. To be honest, to live a chaste and virtuous life, to obey the law, to use clean language, to respect others, to abstain from alcohol, tobacco, tea, coffee, and other substances. Some of us would be in trouble right there with the coffee, am I right? Okay? To go to church regularly and to observe dress and grooming standards. The thousands and thousands and thousands of students that go to BYU have to say they will follow that honor code. Well, they found out recently that one of their star basketball players had flagrantly broken that honor code. He was involved in a premarital sexual relationship. And so they brought him in, and they sat him down, and they told him, you are no longer a part of our basketball team. What's happened this week in the media, if you watch uh, sports uh, television or listen to sports talk radio, is BYU has been absolutely crucified by many of the so-called experts. How could they do such a thing? Aren't all college kids doing that? 
That's the questions that were asked over and over and over again. But here's the point. Here's what I want you to see today. BYU made a statement that when it pertains to their honor code, they are not a school of ideals. They are a school of convictions. They're a school of convictions. Well, I didn't come to you today to talk about a Mormon university But I did come to you today to help you try to understand that there is a difference between a conviction and an ideal. There's a difference between a conviction and an ideal. And I want to just, I want to throw this question out for you this morning and ask you this. Are you a person of convictions? Are you a person of ideals? Or are you a person of compromise? Three choices. Are you a person of convictions? Are you a person of ideals, or are you a person of compromise? Daniel chapter 3. It's the story of three guys whose names I could never pronounce growing up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three people living during the exile in Babylon during the reign of a king who's got a hard name to pronounce. Nebuchadnezzar. Say that with me. Nebuchadnezzar. That's hard, isn't it? One more time. Nebuchadnezzar. Just needs to roll off the tongue there. King Nebuchadnezzar was ruthless. He was was a king unlike any other king up to that point in time. And yet Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and their good friend Daniel found favor with this king. They found favor with this king because they were men of principle. They were men of convictions. And we're going to see how that played out in their life. Number one, I want you to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in a very tough dilemma, a a difficult situation. Up to this point in time, they'd found favor with the king. They had been placed in a position of prominence with the king. And yet in chapter 3, we find out very quickly there's going to be some trouble. Verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And right there, that in itself might not seem like a big deal. But verses 2 and 3 let us know that everyone in the land of Babylon would be required to bow down and to worship before this, before this image of gold made in honor of the king. When, when the music plays, these men are called to bow down and to worship the king. Verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipes and all kind of music, you must Fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now maybe as you read that today, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to you. You may say, does it really matter? Well, it mattered to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they were God-fearers. And they had made a commitment that they would worship only the God of heaven. They would worship only true God. They would not be involved in mixed worship. They wouldn't play the game that the peoples of Israel and Judah had played for centuries and centuries and centuries. So what if they decide to say no? Verse 6, whoever does not fall 
worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so the point is really pretty simple. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in a no-win situation. At least through my 2011 eyes and my 2011 mindset. They've made a commitment they will only worship the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar has said, you hear the music playing. What is a zither, by the way? Do we even know what a zither is? Okay, okay, guitar, basically. Okay, it's a guitar. You hear the guitar, you hear the flute, the lyre, all of that. Get down on your knees and worship the 90-foot statue. And so they would appear to be in a no-win situation. Let's move on. Number two, I want you to see this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were godly men of convictions, not of ideals. That's what I want you to see. They were men of convictions, not of ideals. Let's skip over to verse 12. In verse 12 it says, Now there are some Jews, this is being reported to Nebuchadnezzar, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, and they name them out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipes and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. All is well. Two thumbs up. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then I think he kind of taunts them at this point just a little bit. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. I love the the resolute nature of these godly men. Listen to their words. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even If he does not, even if we die in the furnace, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods. We will not worship your image of gold that you have set up. Here's what they're doing. They're drawing a line in the sand. They've got everything to lose in terms of earthly position. They've got everything to lose in terms of their life. And they're saying, it doesn't matter. We will not compromise. We will not worship your 90-foot image of gold. We worship one and one only, and he is the Lord, our God. Now let me make an observation. I hope that this offends you. I didn't misspeak. I hope this offends you. In America 2011, I believe that we are a people of ideals, not a people of convictions. 
Some of you are saying, yeah, I can see it. Some of you are giving me the look like I don't think so. Here's what I mean. When's the last time you drew a line in the sand and you said, this is what matters most? And there's no other answer. There's no other direction. There's no other focus. I am convicted in my heart. I am convicted in my soul that this, whatever it is, is so important to be. To me, there is no compromise. It's not just an ideal. It's a conviction. We, in in the land of the free, have become a people of ideals or a people of compromise, not a people of convictions. That's my observation. I'd love to know what you think about that, by the way. Not right now, but jot me a note. If you agree, jot me a note. If you think I'm way off, jot me a note. I'd love to know what you think. We need to move on for time's sake. Number three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego paid a price for being men of convictions. And and I want you to see this. The temptation when you read through Daniel in chapter 3 in the fiery furnace, and many of you know how that ends, or chapter 6 in Daniel in the lion's den, is to say, well, you know what? It was an easy decision for them. They knew God was going to rescue them. I want you to understand, they paid a price for being men of convictions. And I want you to know that that if you get to the point where you say, I'm going to be a man of convictions, a woman of convictions, a teenager of convictions, a senior of convictions, you may well pay a price as well. Let's look at the text. Verse 19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. you see it? These godly men chose death over compromise. They said God's going to rescue us. That, That was their heart. But they said, even if he doesn't, even if we die, we'd rather die than compromise. That's a faith, no pun intended, that's on fire. That's a faith that is life-changing. It's country-changing. It's world-changing. Can you imagine what Clinton, Illinois would look like if, if all of us today left this sanctuary and we had a faith on fire like that? If we were men and women and children and seniors of convictions, And we said, we're going to stop majoring in the minors. We're going to stop worrying about the insignificant. And we're going to be so convicted that the Lord is God, that everything we do, everywhere we go, every conversation we're a part of, every relationship we're involved in is going to be so God-honoring and never, ever compromising 
Can you imagine what our community would look like? Can you imagine the difference we could make? Number four, God decided to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, not from the furnace. And this is a huge principle. You might want to circle this. Because many times when we're going through our own fiery furnace situation in life, we want God to rescue us from the furnace, not be with us in it. We say, God, take this away from me. I don't want to have to face this. Just remove it completely. And it may very well be that God said, is going to say, you're going to go in the furnace, but I'm going to be there with you. Let's look at the text. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and were thrown into the fire? See, what had happened is, Nebuchadnezzar is expecting an instantaneous death. Nebuchadnezzar is sure that if the men throwing these three into the furnace are are perishing because of the flames, surely these three will perish. But what happened is, nobody died. And a fourth person appeared in the furnace. Now, there's a lot of speculation who was the fourth person. Some commentators have said it was an angel. Many contemporary scholars believe it was Jesus that was in the furnace. That Jesus came down from heaven and was in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Regardless, we can't solve that this morning, but regardless, here's what I want you to see. Nebuchadnezzar went from furious and angry and a man of wrath to a person on the verge of conviction. Verse 25, he said, look. I see four walking around in the fire. They're unbound, they're unarmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. And here's the phrase I want you to remember. I'll meet you in the furnace if you dare. I'll meet you in the furnace if you dare. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, men of great faith, a faith on fire, said, we'd rather die than compromise. And God said, I'll meet you in the furnace. And I throw that out to you today. Are you willing to go to the furnace? Number five. Here's kind of the crux of the story. Time in the furnace made all the difference in the world for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. That is incredible coming from the king of Babylon. That that is a testimony of heart change. That is a testimony of conviction. And so he makes this decree. Therefore, I decree that 
all the people of any language or nation who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces. Their houses will be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. And then he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And we don't have a lot of time to do this today, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went from really in in great position with the king in chapters 1 and 2 to a sentence of sure death in chapter 3 to ascending once again to a position of prominence. Life in the furnace made all the difference in the world. Now, here's what I want us to look at quickly this morning. This narrative has repeated itself over and over and over again in the 2,500 plus years since the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you're a New Testament scholar, you'll probably remember the fact that Stephen became the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7 because he wouldn't stop preaching Jesus. Peter talked about how suffering for Christ is a badge of honor we should be willing, in fact, we should desire to wear. And the Apostle Paul in the latter part of 2 Corinthians lists all the different persecutions that he faced for standing firm in the face of opposition. What about in the early age of Christianity? Consider the life of Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna. He was a a saint who did great things in the name of the Lord during a time when if you were a sold-out disciple of Jesus, they just killed you. Sometimes they hung you on a tree. Sometimes they fed you to wild animals. Sometimes, as in Polycarp's case, they tied you to a bunch of wood and they set it on fire. Polycarp, late in his life, he was 86 years old in 155 A.D., when he was arrested because he wouldn't pay homage to Caesar. A captain knocked on the door. Troops were behind him. Polycarp opened his door. He was so well respected that the captain got down on his knees and and, and begged this Christian servant, just say Caesar is Lord. You don't even have to mean it. Just say it. We don't want to do it to you. And I want you to hear Polycarp's answer. He said, he's been my God 86 years, he's never betrayed me yet. How can I now betray my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ? That's a faith that's on fire. And consider some of the the great stories that come out of the awful, horrible time we know as Nazi Germany. The evil, evil oppression. This week was... um, the 63rd anniversary of Lutheran pastor Martin Niemuller being arrested and imprisoned for opposing Hitler. Niemuller was very famous for the the quote, you may recognize it. He said, first they came for the socialists. I didn't speak up because I wasn't a socialist. Then he said, then they came for the communists. I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then he said, they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. And Niemuller, in, in his, uh, in his uh, self-history, his, his autobiography, 
He writes that at one time he was a pastor of ideals who became a pastor of conviction. This story has repeated itself over and over again. And what do all of these, com- all of these individuals have in common? They have one thing, and I want you to see this. People of conviction that the Lord used to change the world. So what do we do with Daniel chapter 3? What do we do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, what about you and me, Christ followers in 2011? I want to just throw out for you today, not a mandate. I don't want to tell you what to do, but I want you to do a self-inventory of your life. Consider your convictions in the area of moral purity. Where are you at? Are you a person of ideals? Are you a person of compromise? Or are you a person of conviction when it comes to the area of moral purity? What about the area of ethics? Tax season is just around the corner. Some of us are going to be getting our taxes done. Does it really matter if we cross every T and we dot every I? Does every dollar really matter? Well, let me ask you, are you a person of ideals? Or are you a person of compromise? Or are you a person of convictions? What about your personal life? What about your personal life? And by that I mean if you're a father or a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather and, and, and you at one point have done a self-inventory and you've said, I'm really not where I want to be in this area of my life. Are you a person of ideals? Are you a person of compromise? Or are you a person of convictions? And then what about your spiritual life? Many of you have shared wonderful testimonies with me how you have been really stretched these last two-plus months. You've read like you've never read before. You feel like God's spoken to you through his written word, like you've never been fed before in many ways. And yet I know for some of us, if you hear the word B90X one more time, you're going to vomit probably. You're tired of hearing it. You can't wait for the next sermon series. And I want to just ask you, where are you at spiritually? Where, Where are you at when it comes to Sunday morning worship? Where are you at when it comes to prayer? Where are you at when it comes to giving? Where are you at when it comes to studying God's word in a group setting? Are you a person of ideals? Are you a person of compromise? Or are you a person of convictions? Four areas right up there that I want you to to focus on. Maybe not right now, but maybe at some point today or this week. Here's the bottom line. I hope you've been able to catch this. The Lord desires you to be a person of of convictions not just ideals definitely not compromise jesus said it like this when asked what's most important what's the greatest commandment what's number one he said love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength and closely connected that love your neighbor as yourself and just remember he'll meet you in the furnace if you dare. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance to study your word. And Father, we love you and we thank you for the blessings you shower down upon us. Bless us now as we move to our commitment time. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do things a little different this morning. Um, And Ernie doesn't know that, so I apologize, Ernie. Um, We're not going to sing a song this morning. Jim is going to play a song for us and he's going to sing it. And it's a song about Jesus, quite honestly. 
And I want to let you know that if you have a decision that you want to make for Jesus Christ, Kent's up front, Ernie's going to be up front, I'm going to be up front. As Jim Plazen sings this song, I want to invite you to come forward. I want to let you know this week and every week during this time, if you want prayer, we want to pray for you. I know it's hard to get up and walk down the aisle, and I want you to know we're here to pray for you this morning, right now, or after the service. But what we really want to do today, a little different than most weeks, is as Jim plays and sings this song, of course I want you to listen to the words, but I want you to think of your life. And I want three words to kind of roll around in your head. That word ideal, that word compromise, and that word conviction. And maybe right in your seat, right where you are, you're going to say, this is the day that I become a person of conviction when it comes to my ethics. <laughs> or right now, today is the time that I become a person of conviction when it comes to moral purity or my personal life or my spiritual life. Let's all bow our heads and gently in our song.